passage for today is Proverbs chapter 27, verses 1 to 17. Uh, if I can ask you to rise up, if you are able, we shall read this uh, passage together. Uh, Romans, uh, Proverbs chapter 27, verses 1 to 17. And it reads, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. One who is full loads honey, but to one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Be wise, my son, and make my heart glad, that I may answer him who reproaches me. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the symbol go on and suffer for it. Take a man's garment when he has put up security for a stranger, and hold it in pledge when he puts up security for an adulteress. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as cursing. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. This is God's word. You may be seated. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for your word, for your wisdom that is given to us that not only enables us, Lord, to live in uh, light of eternity, to look forward to the hope that is ours of a soon coming day when we will be uh, joined uh, to your son uh, and live in your presence, but rather a lot also the wisdom that allows us to live our lives fruitfully here on this earth a lot. And we pray that as we go through your word today that uh, we will be able to take its lessons to heart and apply them in our lives. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Um, so we read this entire passage, but today I just want to focus on a few verses uh, specifically the verses that um, comes uh, talking about relationships between two friends. And, you know, Ayn Shaponsan in verse 17, that's a very famous verse, right? That's our theme for uh, this year. One of the interesting things about that verse is that it's commonly quoted um, as, as a motive for discipleship. But it is actually more correct to say that this verse, this section of Proverbs is actually talking about friendship, uh, what's the difference? You see, friendship is and, and should be an important part of discipleship, but f- friendship is more elemental, it's more basic, it's more fundamental uh, than discipleship is. For example, in discipleship, there needs to be the expectation that one person is learning from another. Right? There's the disciple, and there's the one who is doing the discipling. These roles cannot be interchanged, you know, uh, as much as we are led to believe that there's something called mutual discipleship, that is not actually a biblical category. There needs to be someone who's doing the discipling and someone who is the disciple. But friendship in, its, in itself does not carry that notion of hierarchy. Friends are peers, right? They are co-existers. They are arm in arm. Uh, they are side by side. They share common interests they have common, common goals, sometimes a common vision. And the relationship of friendship is so fundamental that every society, every culture knows what it is without knowing exactly how to define it. Right? It's so basic that people understand what you mean when you say what, 
when you talk about friendship, but they won't really have a proper way to define it. For example, Webster defines as a friend as a person whom one knows and with whom one has a bond of mutual affection, typically exclusive of sexual or family relations. Now that's a very clunky definition. It's trying to define what a friend is. Uh, I found this definition uh, from one of the uh, North American uh, First Nation tribes. Uh, you know, their vocabulary is sometimes more eloquent than English's. And, and um, you know, compare the coldness of friend with what they call one who carries my sorrows on his back. See, it's an, it's, it's an attempt to capture the nature of friendship. Now, the book of Proverbs is, like we all know, God's wisdom that teaches us how to live our lives the right way, how to decipher, how to decide between what is right and wrong, even in situations which might not be black and white, and how to develop the habits that will enable us to prosper spiritually in the face of the evil that surrounds us, which seeks to destroy us. And a very key aspect of Proverbs is its guidelines on relationships, be that of the parent and the child, the husband and the wife, and of course, between friends. God's wisdom underlines uh, the influence and importance of godly relationships to an individual's success in life. And Proverbs has a lot of wisdom to give us regarding friendships. For example, in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20, it talks about choosing the right friends. He says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And then in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6, it talks about valuing the quality of friends more than the quantity of acquaintances. So it says in 20 and verse 6, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. So Today our attempt is to understand and define Biblical friendship through the lens of the book of Proverbs, specifically of uh, this chapter that we just read. And what we'll try and do is we'll seek to understand, define, and talk a little bit about finding uh, biblical friendship. So understanding friendship, defining friendship, or what are the characteristics that one should expect in true friendship and how to go about finding uh, true friends. So understanding friendship. If you read the Old Testament, the commonly used uh, Hebrew word for friend is ria. Now, the word ria is also translated neighbor. It is similar to our English word fellow, right? It it doesn't naturally mean friend. It, It probably at its base means fellow. So at one extreme, there you could say, oh, he's a fellow. He's the other fellow. Someone who is close to us merely in terms of, let's say, distance or space. On the other extreme is a friend, someone who is in close fellowship, someone who is in close intimacy with us. So it's the same word, fellow, neighbor, friend, and it's context which determines um, how it is translated. And that context is the level of intimacy in that relationship. See, one effect of the fall, we read in Genesis, is to reduce the significance or the context of human relationships to those that are essential for survival, to ones that are tied to obligation. For example, family relationships, relationships of passion, uh, and especially in the ancient cultures, tribal or ethnic relationships. And the word neighbor signifies 
the, the depersonalization of the one who happens to merely exist in our vicinity. The neighbor does not need or deserve the love that is reserved for family. That is, that is one of the effects of the fall, this, this, um, this downplaying of human relationships. But we know that one of the centerpieces of Christian life, of Christian morality, of Christian ethics, is, is what we read in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, which Jesus also mentioned, that one of the, the golden commandments is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, God intends his people to reverse the effect of the fall on human relationships, specifically on neighborly relationships. He doesn't say to to tolerate your neighbor. He doesn't say to like your neighbor. He he uses the word love. To love your neighbor is to imbue or to to, to invest that relationship with dignity and to bring it to the same level as all of our other human relationships. And... When we begin to love our neighbor, you know, those of our neighbors whom we establish the most intimate of bonds become our friends. So they are both ria, they are both fellows, but the fellow has become the friend. And that's an effect of God's commandment, his, his imperative that we do not subject ourselves to the effects of the fall when we deal with those uh, you know, who are not family, who are not our children who are not our spouses. And Proverbs holds friendship in a very high regard. And I want to showcase that using two verses. And what I need you to understand is the context in which these verses would have been read. This is ancient Middle Eastern society, which just like today's Eastern cultures, you could say, you know, Asian cultures, Arab cultures, price the family above everything else, right? Blood is thicker than water. In that context, the message of these following two verses is, is kind of astounding. So if you read Proverbs 17 and verse 17, it says, it says that a friend loves at all times and a brother is uh, born for adversity. Uh, the verses are actually listed uh, under that. Uh, so Proverbs 17 and verses 17, it says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. What's that verse saying? It's saying that a friend is there in both the good times and the bad, while family is a safety net. That's essentially what it's saying. It's a net to catch you while you're falling. But then you read Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24. And 18 and 24 says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So this word is saying that even in adversity though, your true friend's spiritual ties are better and stronger than blood ties. In times of adversity, the true friend's ties relationship is better and stronger than a relationship of blood. And that is an astounding thing to say in a culture which values family above everything else. And you see, the amazing message of Proverbs may be that blood is thicker than water, but true friendship sticks above everything else. And, and this is the wise King Solomon uh, who is writing this, and he's saying that there are benefits to friendship that cannot be provided by family, that cannot be substituted by family relationships. And one wonders if he looked at the, the example of his father David and his dear friend Jonathan. And we know the life of David. David was very unwise in his relationships uh, with women. 
in his relationships with his children, but the one thing that, of all of his relationships that, that you could say is a true example for us is his friendship with Jonathan. And when Jonathan dies, he says, um, very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. Now, you have to understand, he's saying this in the context of a life that has failed in his relationships with his children and his relationships uh, you know, with a spouse, in this case, multiple spouses. But he's saying that his true friend's love for him was extraordinary. So we see there's a biblical model, there's a biblical imperative for friendship. But the truth is that often collides with what we call the practicality of our society or, or the context of our upbringing and our culture. We are constantly busy. And the little time that we have for relationship is often restricted to family and spouse. So we have many acquaintances, but often no faithful friends. And in our culture today, true friendship is the hardest relationship to justify. And it's the easiest one to drop for the sake of others. It's the hardest relationship to justify and the easiest one to drop. C.S. Lewis, uh, in his book, The Four Loves, talks about friendship. And, and when he talks about the four loves, he's talking about uh, affection, which he defines as the love of family, the love of parents. Uh, eros, or, or romantic or passionate erotic love, which is love between lovers or husband and wife. Uh, then he talks about friendship, and then he talks about what he calls charity, or agape, or divine love. So he says there are three essentially human loves, and then there's one love which is divine. And of the three human loves, this is what he says about friendship. See, friendship is in a sense uh, the least natural of loves. It's the least instinctive, organic, biological, and necessary. It has the least commerce with our nerves, which means there's nothing throaty about it. Friendship doesn't shout, is what he's saying. Nothing that quickens the pulse or turns you red and pale, like what passion does. It is essentially between individuals. The moment two men are friends, they have in some way drawn apart together from the crowd or from the herd. And then he goes on to say, without eros, without passionate love or romantic love, none of us would have been begotten. And without affection, that is family love, none of us would have been reared or raised. But we can live and breed without friendship. The species biologically considered has no need for it. And that lack of need is what prevents us from seeking and investing in friendships. Because we can survive without friends. Moreover, we have been trained since childhood to value family and romantic love above everything else. But the book of Proverbs says that we are missing out if we go through life without having true friends, even to the extent that it is considered unwise to live your life without having true friends. See, the beauty of friendship, how it differs from family love and, 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 and uh, spousal love, is that it's not driven by obligation or passion. It is driven by free choice, the mingling of souls for no purpose other than the cherishing of each other. In that sense, there's nothing more fundamentally human than friendship. It separates us from every other creature on God's green earth. And, but even more than that, if you read the Old Testament, we read that Israel were the children of God. But those whom he especially cherished beyond all others, the Bible adds another qualification. He calls, it calls Abraham and Moses the friends of God. The friends of God. It's probably why um, C.S. Lewis goes on to say that friendship of all the loves 
seems to raise you to the level of gods or angels. In friendship, we get a, to see a glimpse, a snippet of divine love, of love that arises out of free choice. And that is the need for friendship, right? Because we are called to live our lives wisely. And now uh, let's look at the characteristics of true friendship as laid out in the book of Proverbs. What are, what are the qualities that a true friend needs to have? Um, these categories you know, were first defined by someone named Derek Kidner, but you will, you will see these repeated uh, you know, if you read articles or commentaries. So there are four characteristics that Proverbs talks about in terms of true friendship. The first one, and I'll try to keep this all with C's uh, so that those of you who remember that way will remember it. The first one is constancy. Constancy, which is a fancy word for loyalty, right? So the loyalty or constancy is one of the defining characteristics of a true friend. As we read in Proverbs chapter 17 and 17, it says a friend loves at all times. A loyal friend sticks with you in good times and bad. He's always there. And Proverbs has a lot to say about another type of friend, what we in English call fair-weather friends. You know, people who are plenty in the good times but scoot away in the bad. So if you read Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 4, it says, for example, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. So, so if you're rich, you'll have lots of friends, but the moment you're poor, even the one friend you have will, will tend to leave you. That's, in that context, that's what Proverbs chapter 27, the, the, the passage we read in says in verse 10, it says, do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. The true friend, the friend who sticks closer than a brother, is the one whom you can reliably turn to in times of adversity. He is nearer to you, both in space, in distance, and also in spirit, on the day of calamity when disaster strikes, when the unexpected happens, than the brother who is far off. So Solomon is asking then, why would you forsake your friend and rely on your brother? See, constancy or loyalty is the outcome of the trust that exists between true friends. The outcome of, you know, an I have got your back type of attitude. When no one else remains, a true friend still is there. Uh, one of the descriptions I read for a friend is a friend, the one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. Such friends are hard to find. And Proverbs says that you have to keep them and cherish them and do not forsake them or throw them away. What do we mean by that? He says, there are friends, there are some friends who are friends of your father. And, that, and that, what that's talking about is that friendship to your family is tried and tested over two generations over a long period of time. Now, how tragic would it be if you were to sacrifice such friendships because of novelty or convenience? Because you wanted to experience something new or because it was no longer convenient for you to maintain that relationship. So that's why he says, do not forsake your friend and the friend of your father. The relationships that are tried and tested, keep nurturing them, keep cherishing them. So constantly is the first characteristic of a true friend. The second characteristic is counsel, right? C-O-N-S-E-L. Um, what do we mean by counsel? It means advice, right? A true friend is not only loyal, but he's also a faithful counselor. To counsel 
means to give advice, but advice does not capture the true extent of what Solomon is saying here. Uh, this is in verse nine of chapter 27. He says, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Now the word earnest there actually means passionate, right? I mean, that's also what earnest means, but in our culture today, most people uh, don't understand that when you say earnest, it it's, it's actually means like passionate. Uh, a friend's counsel is not just mere advice, but it's a passionate opinion and intervention in the life of a, another friend who needs it. See, friends are interested in the success of each other. They're not jealous. In verse four, we read, like, you can stand before anger and wrath, but before jealousy, who can stand? A true friend is not jealous of your success. Rather, they feel that they have a stake in it, so they, they feel the need to dispense heartfelt, selfless advice from time to time. And such a friend is called here as a sweet friend. That sweetness is compared to you know, the, the, the shine that your skin gets if you were to put olive oil on it. And most of us probably wouldn't know what that shine is, but that's what it's talking about. Uh, we put coconut oil on uh, Timothy yesterday. He's still glistening. So um, that sweetness is compared to the glistening shine of olive oil and the fragrance, the fragrance that imparted to clothes by the best of perfumes. What, what Solomon is saying is that just like oil and perfume, a friend's passionate counsel provides us with a sense of pleasantness, of health, of well-being. But, but counsel, friendly counsel is more than just pleasant and reassuring. And another element or another needed element of friendship is given in Proverbs uh, 27 and verse 17. This is that famous verse. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. This verse is talking about the, the personal growth that occurs in the lives of two friends or more as a result of sharp and frank interactions. Uh, we often call this you know, constructive criticism, but what, what it really is is that these, this is the, the kind of counsel that is very sharp and to the point which happens in the course of a natural ongoing dialogue which happens between friends. So it, it's, not, it's not unwanted advice, it is not unsolicited, but what, what it is is the natural outcome of the conversation that you're having with your friend as time goes on. And the first iron, it says iron sharpens iron. The first iron is a knife. Uh, the second is a sharpening iron. So when you wanted to sharpen knives, you would have this uh, piece of metal that, or, uh, which you would use to sharpen the first one. And Solomon's saying that uh, it's standing for, the first iron is standing for your personality, your character. He's saying that your personality and your wit and your character is being sharpened due to the critical counsel that is being given you by your friend. So your personality is becoming better. It's becoming, you know, the bluntness of, of, of your personality is being sharpened. It's being made better. It's being refined by, by uh, you know, the activity of your friend uh, and his counsel. And, you know, one of the things that... Um, is interesting is that Jewish rabbis would often use this proverb to signify the growth that happened when two students in a school, in a, in a, in a religious school, were discussing and debating the scriptures with each other. So that's the kind of idea that's conveyed by this verse. Like, you know, you're, you're talking to each other about something, but there's an element of improvement that's happening. And, and we have to be very careful that this is not conflict. 
This is not talking about fights, even though, yes, sparks are flying, but the two people are not enemies. They're not adversaries. Rather, they're both interested. They're both passionate about the upliftment of the other person. Therefore, you know, one friend feels the, the ongoing freedom to provide the type of sharp advice that is crucial for his mate's development, and the other person is open to receiving it in good faith without getting hurt. So this is not conflict. Rather, it is supposed to be a natural part of the ongoing conversation that happens between friends. So true friendship needs both the pleasantness of sweet counsel and the spark of sharp counsel. And without either of them, or without any of them, friendship is incomplete. So we talked about constancy, which is loyalty. We talked about counsel. Uh, The third characteristic of a true friend is candor. Now this is another uh, old English word which stands for openness or honesty. Uh, And that's closely related to the idea of counsel, right? You know, giving advice. The third quality is openness and honesty or candor. A faithful friend who's invested in your life will sometimes use his or her privilege of intimacy with you to warn you and correct you when you're going down the wrong path. That's how it differs from counsel. The openness uh, is, is, is more stringent or it's more, uh, you could say, disruptive than, than counsel is because he's trying to warn you or correct you when you're going down the, right, uh, the wrong path. So in verses 5 and 6 of 27, we read, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. What are these two verses trying to say? They're showing that a faithful friend is so devoted, so loyal to his friend, so invested in his success and his well-being that he's willing to risk the tranquility, the peace that is the normal environment of friendship in order to nudge or move his friend off the wrong path, right? When you talk about friendship, what do you expect that, that, that relationship to be? You expect it most times to be to be peaceful, to be tranquil, to be joyous, to be cheerful. But it's saying that the faithful friend is willing to risk all of that in order to move you off the wrong path. It says he's open in his rebuke. He's direct. He's strict. He's he's maybe in your face if the situation calls for it. Um, A commentator writes, you know, about secret love. He says, secret love is like winking at a girl in the dark. It does neither her nor you any good. Um, open, loving rebuke is potent. Hidden love is important. See, that's what, see, there's no benefit to having what's called secret love. Um, and, and, and you have to understand, it is a risk to have this level of openness in a friendship uh, because such open and honest criticism often leads to hurt, intended or otherwise. The friend's correction we read here opens up wounds it hurts, but it is faithful. His plain, sharp speaking arises out of his love and concern for you. He intends only the best for you. And that's why the opposite of faithful wounds are profuse kisses. Not that there's anything wrong with kisses. What it is saying is that there's nothing worse than fake and hypocritical friendship. People who only aim to puff you up, either for their own gain or because they would rather have a good time than see you on the right path. And such kisses are not the work of a friend. They are the work of an enemy. So the friend is taking a risk that can result in separation, but the, the friend does it, hopeful, uh, does it anyway because he's hopeful that 
that his essential unselfishness and his concern will eventually be seen by the other person, leading to a restoration, perhaps even a strengthening of their friendship. Um, So in Proverbs 28 and verse 23, we read, whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward, which means in a period of time, will find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue who finds favor in the short term. And that time, so when you read these words, that's, that's great. But that time, may be, it may be an hour. It may be days. It may be months. It may be years. But the honest friend is willing to risk the status quo because he knows that to keep silent is to be selfish, to be opposed to the, to the well-being of his, of his dear uh, friend. And that's one of the most important facets of friendship. True loving friendship looks out for the spiritual growth and the well-being of the friend, even at great cost to oneself. And such friendship can often be the only thing that prevents us from going astray as a result of, of situations, as a result of our environment, as a result of our circumstances. See, when I um, was reading about parenting, one of the most scary verses about parenting in the Bible is actually found in First Kings. In First Kings 1 and verse 6, uh, this is talking about David and Adonijah, who was his, who was his son, uh, who went, ended up rebelling against David after uh, raping the sister of uh, Absalom and then in the end you know, kill, uh, died a tragic death. And this is what it talks about David's parenting of Adonijah. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? He's saying his father had never bothered to risk you know, a, a certain conflict in his relationship with his son by correcting him when he was going wrong. So you see, David failed Adonijah, but then he, when you go on to read First Kings, he, he never had true friends either who would have corrected him. Only he surrounded himself with yes-men who were looking out for their own gain. They gave him the wrong advice, uh, they, they puffed him up, eventually led to his own tragic death. As friends, we are, we are supposed to be responsible to correct each other when it is needed. And maybe have the wisdom to see that such correction, when we receive it, is intended for our own good. To receive it with a humble spirit, recognizing that the wounds of a friend are faithful. So that's, that's candor or openness. And the last characteristic of a true friend is, is consideration. Right? Consideration, I don't need to translate that. right? Okay. Uh, can, see, openness does not give a friend an excuse to be cruel or hurtful. That's what, that's what I mean by consideration. Uh, that openness is earned in the context of a loving, considerate friendship. What is consideration? It's to respect the feelings of your friend and to not abuse or use that relationship for your gain or for your enjoyment. Uh, I don't want to say too much about this other than reading a few examples of inconsideration that are given in Proverbs. And you have to understand that the word used here, they translate it as neighbor instead of friend because they're saying that your abuse of this relationship removes you from the intimacy that is found between friends. So Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 17. One example of inconsideration. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house lest he have a spill of you and hate you. Okay, that sounds uh, worse than what it actually is trying to say. It's saying that do not take up a friend's time disproportionately without considering his needs and priorities. Right? Like, do not impose yourself 
when that person has other things that are more pressing. Another uh, example of inconsiderate behavior is found in this chapter, in chapter 27, verse 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as cursing. It says, do not be inappropriate at the wrong time. Okay, that's, that's, that's what, it, what it's saying. Uh, Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 20. It says, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is long, like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda or like Mentos in Coke. Um, do not be inappropriate in the wrong context. So one was at the, at the, at, in the wrong time. This one is in the wrong situation. Uh, the last one is Proverbs chapter 26, verse 18 to 19. It says, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. It says, do not be cruel or ignorant of when a joke or a prank has gone too far. You see, you see friendship is sometimes about having fun. It's about joking at, at each other's expense. But the true friend recognizes the limits of that and does not go beyond it and does not remain ignorant when that, uh, that joke or prank has gone too far. And sometimes that, and sometimes that consideration uh, should extend to a conscious effort to change our behavior to be more pleasant and effective. Um, you know, one of the warnings in Proverbs is Proverbs chapter 22. It says, uh, make no friendship with a man given to anger nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. So one part of the, of the openness and consideration that's inherent in every true friendship is the willingness to change ourselves for the betterment of our friend. Right? It's not wise to be friends with, 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 an, with a hot-tempered person or with an angry person. That's what Proverbs is saying. So if I am that person, what am I to take from that? It's like, oh, if that is my nature, then I have to try and change it. That is part of being considerate. That is, that is part of being, uh, that is part of, uh, you know, the part of establishing the trust that is needed between friends. So the four qualities of true friendship are constancy or loyalty, uh, counsel, timely advice, candor or openness, and, and, and consideration, right? So then we ask ourselves the question, okay, we talked about, what is true friendship? How do we find such friends, right? See, finding true friends can be a challenge in our fast-paced culture, especially in modern society because we are mobile, right? I lived in a completely different place a year ago, and then I lived in a completely different continent like six years ago. So, so we are in a society which is mobile, and we also have no time. So, and we have been trained to equate friendship only with fun and shared interests rather than the higher mission that the Bible assigns to friendship. And sometimes we think, okay, how do we, f how do we become the type of people who can be friends, right? Who, who can fulfill the mandate of being a friend to someone else? So the questions should be asked are, how do we find such friends? How do we become such friends ourselves? And first off, you know, there's a couple of practical points. You know, that's not directly uh, from this passage, but I thought it'd be, it would be prudent to mention it anyway. The biblical model of friendship presumes that true friends not acquaintances or casual friends, and I'm saying that very carefully. The biblical model assumes that true friends are of the same gender, okay? There's an intimacy involved in friendship that can be dangerous when it involves someone of the opposite sex. So I don't, I don't think I need to explain that, right? True friendship is an intimate relationship that you want to keep 
to people of the, of the same gender. And then the next question is, what about your wife or your husband? You know, often we, um, in today's world, we, you know, what's the most common thing you hear? Oh, my wife is my best friend. My husband is my best friend. So then the question you ask is, can they take the place of a true friend as described here? And, and, and what we need to ask ourselves is, what do we mean when we say that our wife is our best friend, or our husband is our best friend? What, what we really mean is that, oh, if I had a, a pocket of time and I did not know what to do, the person I would choose to spend that time with is my wife or is my husband, right? So that's what we mean when we say my wife is my best friend or my husband is my best friend. But it's not the same as the, the characteristics that we read about, about being a true friend. A true friend might not be the first person that comes into your head when you want to have fun or when you, when you, want, to, when you want to relax. But that doesn't mean uh, that your spouse can take that place. Why is that? Because first off, it's a different category of love. And this is again from C.S. Lewis. He says, we can have uh, passionate love and friendship for the same person. Yet in some ways, nothing is less like a friendship than a love affair right? or marriage. Lovers are always talking to one another about their love. True? Fathers hardly, I mean, friends hardly talk about their friendship. Lovers are normally face-to-face, absorbed in each other. Friends are side-by-side, absorbed in some common interest. And above all, passion is, necess- uh, is necessitated to be only between two people. But two is sometimes not even the best number for a friendship. See what I'm saying? There's, there's, it's a fundamentally different category of relationship that, that you cannot substitute your spousal relationship for a friendship. And the second thing is the danger that comes when we try to invest the same biblical characteristics of friendship in our marriage, okay? So, yes, we can be considerate. Uh, we can be loyal. But think about counsel. Think about candor or openness uh, or frankness that is needed. Now, we said you will be appreciated afterwards for the, for, the, you know, for the openness that you shared with me, right? In the context of a marriage, if that's three days, you're probably sleeping on the couch for three days. That is, you know, that, that is not healthy in that relation. And even when we, especially when you talk about having children in the midst, you know, there are some things that are wisely left unsaid and left uh, to the ministry of friends with a person rather than the ministry of a spouse. And that's important, right? This, all the qualities that are talked about here assumes that this person does not share the kind of intimate relationship that a spouse does with you. So how do we find a true friend? And, and, and the honest answer is our search will be un- unending unless we can find and establish a relationship with the truest of friends. What do I mean by that? Let's turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 12 to 16. This is part of um, Jesus' last, uh, last ministry, last supper with his disciples before his death. And, and it says in verses 12 to 16, he says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. See, on the night before he died, Jesus at the table with his disciples. 
And, but what we read here marks a profound change in the nature of the relationship. Jesus is saying that their relationship is no longer merely defined by the category of master and servant, of teacher and disciples. To those, he adds the qualification friend. And they are his friends because he had chosen them of his own free will. He did not need to call them friends, but he wanted to or he chose to. They are his friends because they were no longer kept in the dark about his plans, like a master would, a servant, but he had revealed himself to them like a friend would. They are his friends because he's invited them into his home, giving them a glimpse of the love uh, that he and his father have for one another, even inviting them, in a sense, to partake of it. They are his friends because he loves them so greatly that he will lay down his life for them. See, Jesus is the best friend that you can possibly get. Every other friendship that you'll have will not fill the void that will be left if you do not have a friendship with the one who is the ultimate friend. And every other friendship that you have is enhanced by the fact that you share a friendship. Both of you, friends, share a friendship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you wonder if the disciples on that night understood the magnitude of what was being said. Because he was saying that you are to be the friends of God just like Moses and Abraham, just like your forefathers. And, and you would think that they did not understand that because they did not stick with him. They did not stay loyal to him. They did not persevere with him in the midst of his adversity. Instead, they betrayed him. They turned away from him and they left him alone in his time of need. And yet, he did not let go of them. He stuck with them. He took the wounds that were meant for them. The punishment that was their due and yet he never turned away from them or shut the door on them. He died for them, but then he rose again and he found them again. He invited them again to his table and he restored the relationship they had broken at his own cost by paying the price. And once again, they were the friends of God. And that friendship is not restricted to just the disciples. Jesus says that he died for his friends. If we count him as our savior, then it means that yes, Jesus is our friend as well. As that song says, we have found our true friend in Jesus. He will bear our sins and our griefs. He will love us at all times. He is the friend who will stick closer than a brother. And if you don't have that one true friend, every other friendship is meaningless. Every other friendship will leave a void and emptiness in your life. It will not satisfy even to a little extent to the satisfaction that you're going to get if you have a friendship with Jesus Christ. But having Jesus as our true friend also enables us to form great friendships with others. How is that so? If you look to that table in the upper room, breaking bread together were tax collectors and fishermen. There were scribes, there were those who were uneducated. There was the political zealot, the revolutionary, and then there were those who were timid. You look to the early church and we see the Jew and the Gentile, the rich and the poor, you know, arm in arm, side by side, united because of the gospel, overcoming the distinctions that society had laid upon them and, and calling each other friends because they were friends with the one who truly is the friend of all sinners. And look around you here today and you'll see that same dynamic. We are all different in many ways, yet we are all common in the only way that matters about everything else, in that we are found in Jesus Christ. See, being a Christian, being a friend of Christ frees us uh, in, you know, in, in two ways with regard to friendship. 
in friendship, when I'm talking about friendship, I'm talking about you know, friends with other people. One, it gives access to more friends than the world can ever give you. The world restricts friendships to shared activities. Do you like basketball? Do you like soccer? Common interests, fun. And that's a small pool. But Jesus liberates friendship from those chains and enables us to focus on receiving the benefits of biblical friendship because he shows us that we can begin on common ground with a fellow Christian brother or sister and build up that relationship. You know, it's not saying that you shouldn't have fun, you shouldn't have camaraderie, but rather don't look for those things first. The most important thing in a friendship is common ground. And when you're both found in Jesus Christ, that is the most common ground that you can find. And two, as Christians, we are being changed by the work of the Holy Spirit to become more like Jesus day by day. And that means we are becoming better friends day by day as well. One of the most common you know, things you will hear is that people are afraid to become friends because they're like, oh, what if someone sees me in the way that I am, in, 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 the, in the transparency of myself? But you know, in a way, we are, we are not understanding what the work of the Holy Spirit is doing. The, the Holy Spirit is refining us. The Holy Spirit is making us to be more like the Son of God. And that means that we are automatically going to be better friends as well. And, and, and since our greatest friendship is with the Son of God, it also means that we can be more open and less paranoid. A lot of people are paranoid about friendships. Or what if I get betrayed? What if someone takes advantage of me? And the answer is, don't worry about it, because if that does happen, you have a friend in heaven who's infinitely better. Use that freedom to be, to be more open and less paranoid. And some of us already have friends who fit the criteria that, that we read about today. And, and what Solomon says is that you cherish them, you pray for them, you, you continue to nurture that relationship. Don't let it fall to the side as a matter of inconvenience or as a matter of novelty. But many of us do not have such friends. Perhaps at one time we did, but we have lost touch due to time and distance. Maybe we do have friends, but they do not share with us the interest that is most vital to our souls. That is of being a friend of Jesus Christ. You cannot form a friendship with someone outside the community of God's people and expect to get the benefits of biblical friendship. Instead, I would invite all of us to look around and realize that the pool of friends that we can acquire is larger than we think. Good Christian brothers and sisters who can be constant, considerate, open, and helpful at all times. And, and like I said, do not be focused on getting the right friend. Do not be focused on, on controlling who it is that deserves that level of intimacy. You leave that to Jesus, your true friend. He's sovereign. He's in control, even of our friendships. And, and if we trust him, then we can live in the freedom of true friendship. And that's what I'm going to end with this quote, for, again, from C.S. Lewis. He's talking about, you know, about leaving the, 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 the establishment of friendships to Jesus as well. He says, but for a Christian, there are, strictly speaking, no chances. A secret master of the ceremonies has been at work. Christ who said to the disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, you have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. Let's talk about the sovereignty uh, of God. And then he says, the friendship is not a reward for our discrimination and good taste in finding one another out. It is the instrument by which God reveals to each the beauties of all the others. They are no greater than the beauties of a thousand other men. By friendship, God opens our eyes to them. He's saying God will enable you to see the best 
in other people. They are like all beauties derived from him through the friendship itself, so that it is his instrument for creating as well as for revealing. And at this feast, it is he who has spread the board, and it is he who has chosen the guests. It is he who always should also preside. Let us not reckon without our host. Every true friendship exists under the headship of Jesus Christ. And without that, it is not a true friendship. Let us pray. Father God, we want to thank you a lot for your wisdom that allows us uh, a lot to, to, to discover these principles for even the most uh, essential, the most mundane of uh, topics that we might think a lot. And, and we realize a lot that uh, every human being who's created in our image a lot has this potential to become a true friend if they are friends with your, with your son and our Lord and Savior a lot. And many times, a lot, we have been guilty a lot of neglecting uh, the beauty of your people uh, by focusing on what matters to us to the, to, the, to the most selfish of our own interests a lot. But we pray a lot as we realize that there's wisdom to be had in having many true friends, that we will get out of our comfort zones and, and seek a lot to establish those relationships, knowing full well uh, that they, they will also be an instrument uh, of nurturing us and nourishing us uh, to be better, not only in what we do, but to become more like you a lot. And we look forward to the day a lot that as, as friends, we can be together in your presence. Until that day happens, Lord, we pray that you'll invest us with the strength and the guidance through our spirit that is necessary for us to thrive in this world. We ask for all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, our true friend, Jesus Christ.